This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 116 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnson from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Now, normally, this is where I would tell you what we're going to discuss and the gear we're going to review, but today is all about you. It's all about listener questions, so I'll just say we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Oh, goodness gracious. Come on now. Friday, so we gotta crank this sucker out, get it posted so everyone can see it and see it, yes. listen to it. Apologize for the slight late post. It'll be Friday afternoon when this gets up instead of noonish, but we're here, we're cranking. What is it, 116? Yeah. It, dude, they, they will be fine for their drive home. They'll right. be fine for their drive home. If you need it for your uh, morning run, sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're on the West Coast, you might get like a, a little lunchtime special. <laughs> right. Easy. Easy. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Dude, I have three podcasts today. What? Uh, so wait a minute. This one, and then You're I have cheating two on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Astrofax with Mike is uh, no. I don't have an Astrofax podcast. No, I'm, I'm doing a, another drum podcast interview, and then a, uh, a business podcast interview. So sweet, busy Friday. Just never ends. You take busy a Friday, days off, man. and you're right back at That's it. That's right. <laughs> Going straight into the weekend. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so real quick before we get started, uh, today's going to be an all-listener question podcast, which we're really excited about because they've been piling up, and we're going to get to, we have like eight audio questions to get to, and we have a ton of your listener questions um, on paper, and we'll break those up into categories like gear and uh, and playing advice and technique and all that stuff. But I did want to mention that next week, uh, we will be launching a promotion for you guys. Uh, for Mike'sLessons.com. Mike'sLessons.com has never done a sale in our 10-year history. We've never had 15% off or anything like that. And I, I really don't want to do it that way. I don't like the percent off kind of mm. bait thing. Uh, so I just want to give you a chance to experience it. So we're going to create a promotion just for the podcast listeners. And it'll give you two full weeks of our all-access pass, which gives you access to the daily live lessons uh, where I do a half-hour live drum lesson that you get to interact with me uh, you'll get access to all the courses everything on the website you'll get access to for two weeks and then you can decide if you like it or not i just feel like that's the best way to do it give you a chance to check out the environment and check out my style of teaching and if you like it then you're more than welcome to sign up and if it doesn't work for you there's nothing wrong with that i think it's really important that every student clicks with the delivery method of whatever teacher they choose and i can't expect to be that for everybody so so what? Uh, maybe I wasn't listening. What's going to be the method for uh, doing it, accessing it? So, yeah. So I'm gonna. It's just going to be a promotional code. All so, right, so next week I will, I'll give you. Yeah, next week I'll give these guys. I'll give you guys all a link to go to. So it's a specific landing page, and when you're you kind of fake sign up and you enter in this promo code, and then it's free for two weeks. So. And you know, you can go from there. Speaking of links, the Modern Drummer Readers Poll is live, and it will be live for the next three weeks. We've shortened mm-hmm. the voting time, and we've brought it up earlier because we're going to be announcing the winners at the Winter NAMM show. Nice. Very so cool. if man. anyone is interested in voting, you can only vote from one IP address, so don't try to spam us. Hopefully, uh, you're being honest and, and do it the right way. But there's a you know ton of great drummers up. We nominated five, but you can write in anyone you want. Um, cool. So, and I believe you might be nominated. I don't know. I think so. Uh, you can, uh, and I think the best way to get around the IP address is stop by your local Best Buy <laughs> and just go ahead and log on with one of their laptops. Fire off a vote for Mike'sLessons.com, best educational product of 2018. Uh, <laughs> I, it's, it's honestly, I, I was talking to Joe Arrington about it. And he, you know, this is his first year being nominated. Yeah. And he felt exactly how I did the first year I was nominated for clinician slash educator. And he's like, he, he lists the other names. And he's like, I don't belong here. I don't deserve <laughs> this. And I'm like, bro, you've, this is a long time coming. You've deserved this for a long time, but I know how you feel. And, uh, it's, it's one of those things where the winning of an award, it, I would assume it's like this for any music award or, or maybe a movie award. 
that is almost like a separate topic. The, the fact of seeing your name in the mix of the people that are making waves in our industry, that is the award in itself. That's got to be surreal. I can't imagine. That's got to yeah. be odd. Um, it's a very weird thing for sure. I mean, I remember the first time it happened was maybe 2015, 2014 was the first time I was nominated. And I, I was like, wait, what? Like, no, no, I'm the guy that votes for these things. Are you kidding me? Like, and I don't write in myself. Like, my mom does, but I don't. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's a very surreal thing. And I think Joe is just freaking out. Uh, I have to say, uh, I'll tell you off the air, but there's, <laughs> there's some other awesome drum world drama. Let's get into our hey, listener questions. All right. So let's start with an yeah. audio question. Our first one is from my old buddy, Ben Lawfer. That's my man. Hey, Mike and Mike, it's Ben from San Francisco. Just a quick question uh, about decoupling your drum set. Uh, so, you know, you hear a lot in the studio about producers saying it's really important to decouple your speakers from the stands or don't put them on, like, the recording console. You see classic NS10 sitting on big old studio desks. Um, and it really tightens up the low end with some foam or s- some sort of padding just to decouple the low frequencies um and i know there are some drum companies that do that with a full drum mat but i've never seen any demos or discussions from stuff other than the company saying hey this works uh and most of those drum risers are pretty expensive so i was just wondering if you guys had any experience with that uh or if general thoughts uh on uh, decoupling your drums thanks so much cool all right, interesting question. Now, I can only weigh in on the things that I've tried. Um, RLX makes the hover mat and the hover something, what is it called? Uh, I'll find it. But they make like a riser that actually decouples the kit from the stage, and then they also make like a real heavy rug. Um mm. I've used them both. Um, I use the hover mat, which is the heavy rug, in my studio. And it does noticeably tighten up the low end a little bit. I use the, um, I'll find out what the heck it's called here in a minute, but I use the, the actual riser on a, on a gig rubble zone, like a, suspe- a, a stage that was kind of suspended on wires. I mean, the whole stage oh, wow. kind of vibrated and resonated. And we were recording the show live, and it definitely helped kind of minimize some of the rumble. Um, it doesn't, I don't mean, it, it, if you really need it, I don't know. That's, mm. that's I think it's, it's an extra thing to, to maybe consider. I think if you play on a lot of metal stages, it definitely helps. Like I think backline companies would benefit from having these. Um, yeah. But that's about all I, could, I know. I could definitely see if you were a, a, a touring drummer and the stage setup was out of your hands. You know, when I was touring, it was we were never the headliner on these shows or on these festivals. And it would have been nice to have that in our trailer to say, okay – you know, Travis, our drum tech, like Travis, you, you got to go grab the mat. This stage is out of control. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, for day to day stuff and for your own practice space, I really don't see a, a need for it. You can always just get a little gaff tape and you'll be fine. It's called the hover deck. It is the actually, hover. it's like a, nice. it's kind of a modular thing. So you can kind of create your own, it's like square pieces that you can put together in different ways and it has little foam feet underneath. So that's what kind of decouples it from the floor. Uh, cool. You need to also have the hover mat with it because it's just a flat wood hover deck. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah, that's Sounds all Sounds extremely know. affordable. <laughs> the next one is our, our old buddy Buck. Buck August. Hey, gents. I have a question for you. I recently began playing with some backing tracks at one of the churches I fill in for. It's an eighth note click, and I noticed that at times it feels like, sounds like the click is speeding up. Obviously, that shouldn't be happening in theory. I'm wondering, do you think I'm slowing down? And I, so I feel like it's speeding up. Just was hoping for some thoughts or insight on this. It's a challenge for sure, playing with the click, but I think it's good for, for my drumming in general. Hope you guys are well, and thanks for taking the time. Catch you later. All right, you want to take that one? Yeah, I mean, as somebody that uh, I think that my work on time is more or my wobbliness is more recent than yours. So I do have a good memory in my head of that feeling that the click is clearly speeding up or clearly slowing down mm-hmm. when my, my brain knows it's not, but my drummer souls, I like, just can't accept the fact that I'm that off. Um, 
Yeah, I would say, Buck, probably the, the track is right on. You can always measure it. Just listen to the track without you playing drums. Uh, that's actually one of those things that I find people rarely do, especially when they're here at camps. I'll give them a track to play to. And without listening to more than a bar of it, they start playing drums. And I'm like, okay, so from this moment forward, you can't hear anything other than yourself, really. <laughs> yeah. But you don't you don't hear any of the nuances. You don't know where you should be accenting the bass drum pattern and stuff. So I think you could just listen to it on its own. But know that the more that you work on your time, the less it'll feel like the click is wobbling on you. You know, uh, I kind of felt like the click used to be. If you've ever been to the gym and seen the the balance board slash ball, so oh, it's like yeah. half ball, half board, and you stand on it and you try to do curls while doing that. That's <laughs> yeah. what it's like playing to backing tracks in a click for the first couple years, and then you start to really find your balance. And what I think is is going to happen for you, Buck, is it's not that you'll ever have perfect time. It's that your recovery of the slippage of time becomes shorter and shorter. And my as I'm going through this journey of time for myself. My theory is that it might, if it takes somebody two to three beats to get back onto the click, they technically have poor time. If it takes somebody a 16th note to get back on the click, they have better time than the other person. I feel like somebody like Steve Jordan would probably know as their stick is on the way down to the snare drum that yeah. that motion was rushing and they would stop it before it ever happened and you would never even know that the time slippage happened. So I think over time you're going to correct that stuff and you'll hear it better. That's, I agree, and I think that as your ear gets refined, you're going to hear the inconsistencies more accurately, so it, it becomes mm-hmm. more obvious. That's another thing to just be aware of. I mean, you're going to hear it. As you get better at hearing yourself playing in time, you're going to recognize when you're out of time to more, a more minute detail. So it's yep. kind of it's kind of will drive you crazy for a long time, but mm-hmm. uh, I can guarantee the more you do it, the more you get better, and eventually you'll just get to the point where you don't even think about it. It's just there. You don't have to question it. You're not fishing, like, am I rushing, am I dragging? It just exists, and you're just on yeah. it. Yeah, um, you know, a real rite of passage for me this last year was making the leap from hearing that I'm off to hearing whether I was behind or ahead. Yeah, um, huge. You know, yeah. I, I could hear that I, it's like, oh, I'm clearly off. I just don't know how to fix it. And then once I now when I hear it, it's like, oh, I'm dragging. I'm positive that I'm dragging. Let me push this one note, and now we're back on time. Or I'm rushing. Let me pull this back. That's that was a huge rite of passage of like, cool. Now I can't wait for it to get even more minute than that. So yeah. I think you'll you'll be fine, buddy. Yeah, the other, I guess the other point would be don't don't freak out if you get off it a little bit and jump, like make a jarring jump in tempo. So give right. yourself some time to just gradually get back onto it. it Absolutely, you know, the audience won't hear it, uh, but if you make a quick stabbing jump, it's going to everyone on stage going to be like, Did, "Right, was there a glitch in the matrix? What the heck just happened?" <laughs> <laughs> That's just bold buck working on a stab. <laughs> All right, so let's go through a stack. We've got technique, we've got random stuff, we've got practicing issues, and we've got a slew of gear questions. So where do you want to begin? Let's start with technique. All right, first one is. From Todd over in the Philippines, I've been wondering how people get their ghost notes and diddles to sound powder smooth. I play mostly German grip, but it seems I have a certain threshold for how quickly I can do smooth double strokes. Are there any exercises or techniques you guys can recommend to help achieve this? Would I need to shift to French grip uh, when throwing out these quick doubles? I, I honestly don't think that you need to categorize it so much as German, French, American. I think you need to find a grip that is most likely equal on both hands, but that allows you to play what you want to play. Uh, I would definitely, I think the American grip, I wish they gave it a different name because it just sounds, every time an American drummer talks about it, it sounds like American superiority. Yeah, But it is the in-between of the two extreme grips. So let's just call it the in-between grip. The in-between of the German and the French is that American grip where the, the crease between your thumb and your first finger points right at about your chest. Uh, instead of pointing towards themselves or pointing towards the sky. And I, I personally just, I feel like I have great access to the power of my wrist with that grip. And I also have great access to the finesse of my fingers. And through that, I can kind of play whatever I want to play. But honestly, the key is going to be practicing at low volumes, like really, really bringing down that stick. And also don't just do it with sound, do it with your visualization. Look at the stick and see if it's coming up more than two inches, that's not going to be a powder smooth ghost note. Yeah, and the contrast to your accent should be high and your ghost notes to be super-duper low. I think that would be number one step. Um, 
You know, I was just thought about the naming of these grips. It's pretty ridiculous. There's a German grip, right? really. There's a French <laughs> grip, really. I mean, what about the Ghanaian grip? What about the Cuban right. grip? <laughs> right. But that, I mean, that, that means that at some point, some group of drummers from some country thought like, no, we've got it down. Ugh, this so is arrogant. how we do it. Right. That's why I don't like saying the American grip because it feels like I'm like, no, don't worry about Germany and France. We figured it all out. <laughs> or the rest of the world who's been playing drums forever. <laughs> I know. Shouldn't there be an Indian grip somewhere? I mean. Oh, man. I just call it the grip. <laughs> the grip. Well, that's the that's kind of what I'm trying to get at is somewhere in between the extremes of the German and the French, there's you. You fit somewhere in between those two grips and you'll find your own personal grip. And I don't think you should be made to feel weird that your grip is slightly different than your idols. It's like we're human beings. We're you know, we're not all the same. And it's you need to play something that allows you to one, not harm yourself. If I had to play German grip all day, I'd have carpal tunnel by now. Like I can't hold my hands like that. Just putting them in German grip is like stressful for me. So it's all based off of who you are and finding something that allows you to play what you want to play and allows you to not get hurt. Great. So let's go to, this is sort of a random question from Jeff. Um, let's see, kind of a long setup, but he says he's basically playing in a pretty simple, simple singer-songwriter Americana project. Um, and he says, I feel like my drumming has not progressed to where it needs to be. Um, I'm not asked to do more than I'm currently doing. I play the song as it is required and how it's written with a deep groove, but by all accounts, it's simple. I want to stretch my musical boundaries, but I'm happily committed to this project. So are there any drummers out there that you can recommend to me that I can look at their work um, that appears to be simple playing but may have some amazing stuff going on that goes unnoticed by the common eye? Dude, that's our that's our hero right there. That's Matt Chamberlain. Matt Chamberlain and Glenn Kochi. I think those two guys are Boom. done. I mean, you can... You can study those guys for the rest of your life. <laughs> and, you know. Can we, because we don't talk about them enough, um, can we just throw Jason McGrew in there? Yeah, true. Right. Yes. Similar. Death Cat for Cutie. Yeah. Yeah. Although his his parts seem to be pretty idiosyncratic a lot of times. I mean, they might be deceptive, well, just, but they're pretty Right. I think that for for me, he he stands out. He's not a Matt Chamberlain or Glenn Kochi type. That's why I wanted to bring yeah. him in the mix because those songs are so mellow. You think like if you heard the, the Death Cab tracks without drums, you would think, well, you can't do anything cool here. Mm-hmm. And then you hear with drums and you go, oh, my gosh, that guy's so creative. So, uh, yeah, and then definitely that all ties back to Jim Keltner. Yeah, so I was going to say Not that, to- but the – yeah, Matt Chamberlain stuff. So Jim Keltner, Ringo Starr, Glenn Kochi, Matt Chamberlain. I mean, it really the, yeah. the list starts to grow and grow and grow. But yeah, you know. let's leave it there. All right. <laughs> All right. The next one. Let's see. We'll go to the issues with practicing. Uh, oh, this is one. This is from Dave. This relates to what we talked about last week. Do you have any tips for increasing stage presence when playing live? He says the. He started reviewing himself on video, so by doing that, he decided to start lifting the sticks higher and occasionally add in some stick twirls. Uh, part of the problem is that I'm a generally low-key person and feel like adding a lot of flash doesn't fit me. I think there's a difference between flash and presence. I think there's a huge difference. Yeah, totally. Uh, I don't, I've honestly never twirled a stick that I can remember ever live. Um, it's not who I am. Yeah. One one I don't even know how to do it. So it's it's a little bit of fear that it would fly right out of my hand. You don't do and the that would sky be the, high stick toss where you try to hit the rafters. Now, hold on. I just put up an Instagram video of me doing that for my nephew, but that was like I was uh, he just started playing drums, so I was showing him his first stick trick. But no, in a live setting, no, I don't I think there's I think it's all about presence. So you know, you said you're reviewing yourself on camera. That probably means to me you're talking about reviewing a live show that you just played. You can't be great at being live until you've practiced being live. So I think it comes down, Dave, to you just getting a full-length mirror from Target or Home Depot or wherever, throw it in front of the drum set, don't record yourself, and then watch it because then you have to leave the drum kit and then try to do it again where with a mirror you just adjust in real time. And get a presence. You know, one of the greatest presences that you could ever have on the kit is forget that you're playing live. 
close your eyes and just be into it. When you're into it, everyone else is into it. It doesn't matter how much you move. It matters how much you're into it. And when you really care, when you're looking around at everybody else and making eye contact, do you know how awkward it is for a drummer to make eye contact with someone in the crowd? <laughs> Man, I hate that. When <laughs> If I'm at Yoshi's and somebody like hits me right in the eyes from the drum chair and I'm like, hey, bro. <laughs> you know who you know, actually like, uses that to great effect is Glenn Kochi. Like I've seen him do solo performances where he's planned some mm-hmm. of his real kind of like edgy, like he's purposely trying to make people a little bit uncomfortable. Okay. And he'll he'll engage with people with eye contact at that point to see like you know like just to let them know yeah. like all right I'm 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 messing with you here like this is right, part right, right. of it. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to go full Vinny like he did on that Sting show that where he amazing. stares down the camera guy. <laughs> that was pretty epic. <laughs> that's that's a different level of presence. Uh, that's like I'm going to present myself in the parking lot to your face. Yeah. So I think uh, <laughs> I think there's a I think it just comes down to presence on the kit and just and also we spend so much time. You good? <laughs> oh, you know I just I just pictured him saying that like I'm gonna like what's that Happy Gilmore character the real big guy I'm gonna see oh, yeah. you in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. I had to hit it off Bigfoot's fat foot. Um, so. So yeah, so anyways, back on track. I think the other thing that a lot of people don't take the time to do until they get start playing live is we always have drum idols, drumming idols, but you you should also pick a presence idol, somebody that looks the way you wish you looked on the kit. You know, I think yeah. about like Sid Catlett. It's like dude, everybody must have wanted to look like that when back in the day. Or Joe you know? Jones, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And exactly. Like, I mean, talk about presence. That guy didn't move a muscle sometimes. He'd just be playing a buzz roll, but he had so much presence on his face. He was so yeah. into it, you know? So, yeah, yeah, I think you just need to start practicing it, get a mirror, put it in front of the kit, and you'll be good, buddy. I think the only thing I would add to that is just the idea of the more confident you are as a player, the more that projects in your presence naturally. Agreed. Like I, Agreed. The, when that was first brought to my attention was in Kawa's drumline and, and the caption had just kept talking about intensity. Give me intensity. And like we just had no idea because we were young adults. We were like, I, I mean, we're insecure. We have no idea what the hell we're doing. Right. It's like, I need intensity. What he meant was just focusing all of your energy into what you're doing. Don't think about anything else. And then that projects energy into the audience, into your sound. Yeah. So that'd be a way to think about it is not being like doing antics, but like just mental focus translates into a projection of energy that everyone can feel. Um, yeah, so I agree. I agree. Slightly completely. different, but you know, that's how I think of it. Cause I don't, I've never twirled a stick in my yeah. life. Yeah. All right. Here's a quick gear one. This comes from Christian. Um, so he says, I'm looking for advice on chrome pitting on an old snare. I have an old 60s Superphonic that's losing its chrome. Would it be worth having it re-chromed? Um, do we have any tips or techniques to ease the problem? Very quickly, those old Superphonics, that's just kind of what happens. The chrome eventually falls off. I say, I mean, you're in London. Maybe they're not as readily available. I'd say just replace it. And if you need one that's pristine, don't bother with re-chroming it. I don't think it'd be worth it. I mean, I don't know what the price yeah. is over there. Here, you can get a Superphonic used for between two fifty and three fifty. I, I imagine you'll yeah. pay that much to have it rechromed, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. bother. All right, do an audio question. Yeah, let's go with uh, Mr. Darren Miller. All right. Hey, Mike and Mike, Darren Miller from Colorado Springs. Uh, so much appreciate your podcast and all the work you guys put into it. I've learned uh, an immense amount about drumming and music and I appreciate your uh, your humorous banter back and forth you guys definitely have a, uh, a real chemistry there so my question is this um, a lot of drummers friends of mine who play professionally and others and articles and such talk about having good ears and listening uh, and how important that is to playing well in a band my question, though, is that it seems like that's a bit of a dichotomy because, to me, the drummer being the foundation should always know exactly where the band's going and should lead. And to me, if you're listening, you're always a microsecond behind everybody else. So it seems like a dichotomy to me um, that, you know, to me, the drummer should have either a great chart or memorize a song to the point that when they play, no matter what happens to the other instruments in the arrangement, that uh, that rhythm track is rock solid and locked down. 
And if you're listening to me, you're no longer leading. So just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, having good ears and listening, but also leading as a foundational instrument. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. That's a, a great question. It's a fantastic question. I think we all go through that a little bit. And great use of the word dichotomy. Let's yes, get right. more, more <laughs> large vocabulary words into the mic and mic podcast. Although I never, ever need to hear about our chemistry ever again. I know. I immediately thought, man, I don't want to quit Whoa. this show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, five years ago, if I would have just walked around Nam and been like, what dude do I have chemistry with? <laughs> it wouldn't have been you, buddy. <laughs> It wouldn't have been you. Maybe somebody at the SJC booth or something like that. Those guys are always good-looking cats. But you know what? What are you trying to say? What are we trying to say? Uh, No, no, you're a good-looking dude. It's just (laughs) not my type. (laughs) Not my type. All right, should we try to answer this question? I think this is a very difficult one, and I know that I can relate my experience, and maybe you can do the same. Yeah. I suffered from the over-listening syndrome for a long time to where I needed to hear what everyone was playing to feel secure that I, my time was good and the groove was fine. What that ended up translating to was exactly what you're saying. I was always behind the beat and not, mm. and not in a good way. It was just I was always waiting to hear the bass and then playing and then chasing my tail to try to keep mm-hmm. the, which is what created a bit of like a an exhaustion on the gig. Like I need to make sure I don't slow down, but I'm always listening and, and kind of sitting behind the beat. So it was frustrating, um, but that's how I learned it wasn't until I decided, all right, I'm going to take the time to really work on my internal pulse to where now I that what I feel now is the time just keeps rolling internally, but I'm still listening, still f- getting to feel where's the guitarist feeling it, where's the bass player feeling it. Do I need to adjust how I perceive the time in order to make it feel right? There's definitely times where I'm like, man, this just doesn't feel right. I have to change. They're not going to change. I have to change. It's usually the guitarist wanting to speed up. Most of the right. time, I have to just you know nudge it up a, a BPM or two. Mm-hmm. So I think it's yes, I'm always listening, but at the same time, I'm secure with my own sense of time that I know what's happening when it's not right, and I can decide make adjustment or don't make an adjustment. But that took yeah. years of practice, a decade of practice. Agreed. Yeah, I think it also comes down to genre. You know, uh, when I was playing symphonic music, listening was not enforced a lot. It was follow the director, stay in perfect time, play your part flawlessly. Then I got into jazz combos and I was constantly being almost yelled at to listen more so that my drumming weren't, wasn't created out of predetermined patterns, but that I was responding in the moment to the things that were happening around me. So those, that's like the two extremes you have, you know, just stay on beat, do your thing and everyone else will follow you because you're the foundation. And then you have improvised music where you need to be responding. So I think it it really comes, if you're playing cover gigs, then maybe 20 to 30% of your drummer soul can be devoted to listening and reacting to the environment around you. And 70% can be devoted to just holding it down and, Mm -hmm. and making sure that you're doing your job and you're on time. And then if you're in an improvised trio quartet, or whatever, it, that that might shift a little bit more to a 50-50 situation. So, uh, but yeah, I think what Mike said is, you know, Darren, you're going through what all drummers go through, and it's just finding a balance. Yeah, and I guess another point is, it's what are you listening for? If you're listening for the time, or you're listening for balance and context. But if you're listening for the time, right. then it's a problem. If you're listening for dynamics and how can I contribute in a live way. But right. you're not listening for someone to give you the pulse. I think that's ultimately that's, the I, difference. You know what? Good job. I think that that nails it. Like, if I'm listening, I'm listening to trigger my what I'm going to play. But I'm not listening to whether I'm going to rush it or drag it. I'm going to hold it down. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Big difference. But I just yeah, I don't want to be thinking like, well, here comes that lick. No matter what you guys are doing, <laughs> I'm dropping fire. Here it comes. All right. Let's All go right. on to Garrett Roberson. Hello, Mike and Mike. First off, just want to thank you for the podcast. It is the highlight of my week by far. Um, I started in on kind of my drum journey a couple years ago uh, after playing for 20-some-odd years of really dedicating myself to it and putting a lot of time in. Um, And your podcast keeps me going just to know that you guys uh, struggle with things too, even at the level you're at. So... 
That being said, my question is about uh, plateaus and what we can do to overcome them. Um, right now, it's been about three or four months, and I cannot seem to kind of get over certain BPMs uh, as it pertains to some of the Mike's Lessons things, like the left-hand lead accents, uh, notes. I'm, I'm kind of stuck at 120 for a long time. Uh, I also work a lot out of stick control, and uh, while I'm progressing through the pages uh, at a slower tempo, the when I try to kind of run through the pages combined at, at higher tempos, um, I really can't seem to get past a certain beat per minute. So that being said, uh, what do you guys do when you hit these plateaus? Um, any tips or tricks? You know, do you abandon it for a while and come back later? Uh, kind of keep pushing until there's a breakthrough. Um, so I'd really like your feedback on this topic. Thank you. Keep up the good work, guys. Oh, another good question. I think, like, again, I can relate to the experience I had recently with speed because I've never really practiced speed to the point of like making notes of what BPM I can play everything. That's that's a okay. very recent thing in the past year. Uh, I just assumed if I keep practicing, I'll get faster and it'll just get better. I never really monitored it. But I definitely hit a plateau, uh, and it wasn't until – I mean, I had to reexamine my technique, always thinking, like, what am I doing? Am I tensing up on certain parts of the hand that could be causing an issue? Or am I not using my fingers the right way? I mean, what is happening? So I just had to, you know, reevaluate when I got to that upper tempo. Like, what am I doing? What's restricting me? Is it is it tension? Is it a technique thing? Is it a fulcrum thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I just had to like consciously let the hands float more. It was just like when I get to that upper tempo, just think, all right, let go of the sticks just a little bit more, you mm-hmm. know, and and it just opened up a few BPM to the point where like when I'm playing as fast, my fast single strokes now, it's a totally different feel than when I'm playing like mid tempo single strokes. Totally. Yeah, different. I definitely have. I have. I totally have different techniques for different tempos. <clears throat> the other thing too is you have to wonder who's the governor, um, and I, I mean like a speed governor that that you could put on a, a car. Uh, sometimes my double strokes maybe could be two forty if I had two right hands, but maybe my left mm. hand is stuck at about two twenty. Well, yeah. I don't get to have two fast doubles with my right and then two slower doubles with my left. So the left is governing how fast I can go. And I always tell my students that I say, look, I'm, I'm sorry. Like you can't go paradiddle, shrewdiddle, paradiddle, shrewdiddle. It's like, I'm sorry. You're stuck at shrewdiddle for both hands. Cause the governor told you so. So yeah, so it could be that. But the other thing too is Garrett, those plateaus are really normal. And sometimes you just need to move forward with something else and keep developing something else on the drum set that may seem unrelated but trust me it's related you know like let's say that you're struggling with flam taps you're like i can't get past this specific bpm and then for a couple months you work on developing your independence underneath well that right hand on the hi-hat that's exactly what happens in a flam tap so you're repeating that motion over and over and over again and a lot of time it's really the motion and the the brain's ability to memorize the motor function that's holding you back. So for me, with my students, we always separate things into two categories. Is raw speed holding you back? Are you physically not fast enough to play this? Or is pattern speed holding you back? Your brain is not firing off fast enough to remember right, left, right, right, left, left, right, left, right, right, left, left. Is that what's slowing you down? And so if pattern speed is slowing you down, I would highly suggest playing everything at about 60% of your max for long periods of time. Allow your brain to memorize the motor function. If raw speed is slowing you down, I would highly suggest doing something like Tabata training. 20 seconds of maxing out, 10 seconds of recovery. 20 seconds of maxing out, 10 seconds of recovery. Do eight sets like that. Do that a few times a day, and then you'll actually build those fast twitch muscle fibers that are slowing you down in the first place. I got to do more of that. That's That's great. I don't do any of that. I just go like slower, faster, just keep going until you hit the peak and then you, right. know, you throw your six against the wall and you come back at it the next day. <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to. Just throw your sticks against the wall. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll try to put it. We'll put it in the show notes, Mike, if you remind me. But there is a Tabata Timer app that literally says, you know, Set number two, go. And then so she's walking you through the mm. 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, so you don't have to keep looking at your phone. Dig it. You know, one other thing that I think has helped me is 
literally my actual grip strength, like doing exercises mm. that increase my grip strength have, have okay. allowed me to play faster and more relaxed, like pull-ups nice. or, or kettlebell swings or anything that, that involves strengthening your grip. It's helped me. Maybe there's it's a it's a false correlation, but I've kind of noticed it. doesn't that. matter. I love anything that involves like, hey, so your doubles didn't get faster? You can do 10 pull-ups. You're fitter than you used to be. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a win-win, no matter what. <laughs> All right, let's get back to some paper questions. Before we do that, we've got to thank our sponsor, Dream Symbols. Um, <clears throat> I would remind anyone who's attending PASIC, which starts next week, next Thursday, in fact, that they will be there. They have. They are celebrating their 10th anniversary at PASIC with some prototypes you can check out and walk away with if you want to buy them. Um, they also have what they call a garage sale of a lot of their B stock and demos. So all the stuff that has come back in from trade shows or whatever, they're going to just garage sale it at really ridiculous prices. Um, Libor Hadrava and Scott Pellegrom will also be there, and I'm sure they'll be playing a lot of notes and, and hanging out. <laughs> uh, I will be there. Uh, I've told them I'm going to be in their booth around 1.45 to 2.45 on Saturday. That's like the one window where there's not a drum set clinic going on. Uh, and we might be giving away something. We might be giving away a vented pang symbol during that hour. So come by their booth uh, at that time on Saturday or go by their booth at any time throughout the show. Tell them you listen to the Modern Drummer podcast and they will give you a free effects bell. Um, no questions asked. And they also Boom. said ANF is going to have some snare drums in their booth. So if you want to check oh, out some awesome. of their stuff. Awesome. That uh, – was going to be my pick of the week. It's not, but I, I want to. I definitely want to talk eventually, maybe next week's podcast about ANF's new single tension drums they just put out. Um, yeah, seriously affordable. Um, yeah, like the bass drum's nine hundred dollars for what's like a twenty-two by tw- or twenty by twelve or something. Really, it's brass. It's a brass drum, right? <clears throat> I, I uh, I'll have to check. I th- I think it's actually wood, but okay. They 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 released a whole kit in the single tension thing. So yeah, check out Dream, check out ANF. You'd be good. Dream to Dream at Pasic. So again, that's next week Thursday through Saturday. Uh, and grab me. Let me know if you're going to be there too. We can maybe grab a coffee or something. Um, all right, let's go back to the print questions. We've got this one coming from. Um, oh, I already did the stage presence one. Let's go with. This is Michael. Um, he says, when I practice, I often have difficulty focusing on a particular skill set and end up just jamming. How do you guys maximize your practice time to get the most out of it? And it looks like he doesn't have a lot of time to actually be on his kit. So I guess when he gets on his kit, he's just excited and just jams. You know, I right away, it, it's a tough thing because when I hear that, I'm, I'm immediately like, oh, dude, you just got to write it down and you got to stick to the schedule. But then when you say I don't have a lot of time to be on my kit, my thought is, well, why do you not have a lot of time on your kit? And it's probably because of your job and your family, which means yeah. the drum set is your vacation from reality. And there is nothing wrong with saying, I've got a half an hour. I'm going to go release every ounce of stress I have. I'm going to go relive my childhood, whatever you want to do. So the drum set can take a lot of different shapes and different forms for a lot of different people. It can be a vacation from reality. Or it can be something just to occupy their brain while they practice something very focused. Uh, so I think you have to figure out, Michael, why you're using this time for the drums. And is it okay that maybe for the next few years you just use it to get through the day and, and to make your day a little happier? If it's something where you what makes you happy is improving, then you are going to need to be a little bit more categorized. Okay, so the next one comes from Todd. This is kind of a... A funny one, but it's a legit question. Is there a specific name for the last triplet or quadruplet that, that many drummers use to conclude a song after the other musicians have stopped playing? Uh, he says there's one in particular, you know, the Eagle song, Heartache Tonight. <clears throat> I guess Don Henley does the at the end. Yeah. Uh, dude, you know who has – well, do you have a name for it? Because Todd Zuckerman has a name for it. Uh, the only the only name that I've, I'm referring, you know, referencing back to like big band – kind of terminology they call it a button or a bump like put a bump yep. on it put a button on it yep yeah todd calls it a face wipe just like kind of wipe <laughs> your mouth off <laughs> so and, and like when he did the face wipe motion like where you wipe your face with the back of your hand i was like yeah so he's like yeah I just throw a little face wipe at the end oh that's um, perfect <laughs> how do you let me ask you this how do you do i do right left kick do you do kick right left what do you do uh it's it's definitely ends with the kick drum always. Okay, yeah. 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 I just stomped really hard on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Face wipe. 
Yeah, Todd is yeah, good but, with the imagery. He's really good at that. He's yeah, the, the machine gun. The blushta is the machi- the Tommy gun. Yeah, the Tommy film. gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go to another Mike. Um, he says, I've been working on the one of Tommy Igo's warm-ups from his Great Hands for a Lifetime. Um, I can play everything on the page until I get to the very end where I'm where I have to play a single, double, and triple paradiddle with accents. I have no idea why, but for some reason when I get to that part it just falls apart and I can't understand exactly why it's happening. Um, I've been practicing this for two weeks and that section is not nearly at the same tempo as the rest of the warm up. Any advice? Yeah, I got lots of advice. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> um, well, I, to me, the advice when it came to single, double, and triple pair deals, the thing that helped me the most was hearing the melody of the accents. So, if you're playing them all monotone, it can be a little hard. But if you hear it, let's let's just say it's two singles, two doubles, and two triples. That'd be and then I would I would just sing that, um, and getting used to that over and over allows me instead of thinking like paradiddle paradiddle para paradiddle para paradiddle para para paradiddle para para that's that's a little much but if i'm going or if it's one single one double one triple bump 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 you start to hear these melodies coming out of the accents so that would be the key and then as far as why it's not the other the speed as everything else that you're playing i would just look at the hours how many hours have you put into double and triple paradiddles versus whatever else is in this warm up yeah, I'm willing to bet I could be wrong. You've probably practiced the first half of that exercise ten times more than you've practiced the hard part. So reverse Absolutely. it. Just play the hard part and don't play the part you already know for you know as many. Because a lot of us do that. We start at the beginning and we go to the end. And usually those kind of exercises, the, the hardest part is at the end. So mm-hmm. just play that hard part and until you get it, and then it'll be fine. Yeah, there you go. All right, a gear question from, let's see... Here's one from Mike. Um, a lot of Mikes, I guess. Everybody, yeah, just like elementary school when we had eight in one class. So <laughs> says I have a. Uh, I'm not going to name the brand, but I have a ten, a 12 inch tom, uh, and on the batter side, there's one tension rod spot that's always higher when tuned low. Uh, even you know, it's even when I check it with a drum dial. So. It's to it's at the point where the other rods around it might be tight, and the treble rod could be finger loose and still have a higher tension reading. I've switched out the rods, the lugs, swapped rims. Uh, the problem does not exist on the resonant side. It just but the drum just won't tune up properly. When hmm. I tune higher, it evens out, but uh, and it sounds great. So is my drum defective or warped? My first red flag would be the fact that. The drum sounds fine when you tune it tight. I think your bearing edge is probably not flat at that spot. So get someone to just check your edges, clean it up. Um, it's pretty common. It's it's quite common. Yeah, I would say it could be a, a timbre thing with the shell it, if the rezo head wasn't working either. But if the rezo head is doing what you want it to do, then it sounds like it's a bearing edge issue. Yep. Just find your local drum builder and have them clean it up for you. It'll be beautiful. So where are we at? We got to get. He's like, back. bro, I live in Saskatchewan. I don't have a local drum builder. Well, this is Mike from. Actually, there probably is a, an a amazing. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. Stop <laughs> listening to Mister Dawson right now. Just get all you need to do is get yourself like a two to three thousand dollar piece of perfectly flat marble. Shine a flashlight through it. You know, the flashlight could be like twenty bucks, and then you're good to go. And then, uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I, you know, that's one weird thing, like. You know, it might be more of an East Coast thing, but I don't know where I would go, to be totally honest, here in Northern California, if I needed somebody to work on my drum, like actual bearing edges and routing and stuff. Um, oh, wow. I guess I would call your local shop and see if they know anybody. That'd be my yeah. first, first bet. Yeah. they. I mean, most of the shops should have like a luthier for guitars on yeah. standby and then, and then maybe a drum guy, too. I don't know somebody. There's got to be somebody. I mean, you can also ship it out. Just just call up True. any uh, small custom shop and ask if they do repair work, and I'm sure they could. I know, like I know, Bill at Pork Pie does a lot of repair work. I mean, these guys they, that that's an know. easy job actually to fix bearing edges for them. Oh, it's cool. probably like a twenty five dollar cool. fix, maybe. Wow. All right. <laughs> Audio question. We've got Nathan Matlack. It says Matlack. Yeah, that's Nathan a great Matlack. name. I probably misspelled it. This is Nathan. <laughs> hey, Mike Johnstonston. My name's Nathan. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. 
And I'm not trying to butter you guys up or anything, but this is the most inspiring thing I've ever had to go sit behind the drums and just practice. I grew up playing the drums, though. My dad's a drummer, so I grew up on his kit. Only problem is we're both left-handed and left-footed, so I, all this time, I'm 22 now, I've been playing the drums a mirror image from everyone else. And I always got that sense of dread when I walked into the music shop or, like, for a lesson, and I have to say, oh, yeah... I have to switch your whole drum set around, which is why Mike Mike Johnson, I love you so much. Thanks for your lessons. But now I'm stuck in this place because I would love to go to the uh, MI or Drummers Collective or the drum camps, but I'd hate the feeling of uh, being a burden on them. So my question is, do you think it would be worth it for me to start over and relearn everything on a right-handed drum set so I can attend these these things and, and potentially grow more? Or should I just stick with what I'm doing and try and like carve my own path in there. Again, I'd just love to hear you guys' opinion on it. Let me know if I was too creepy blowing Mike Johnson kisses. Uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. <laughs> Bro, that is never too creepy. Uh, I mean, I do have in-ears in, so when you blew the kiss, it was like really, really personal. Uh, but did you hear what he <laughs> called us? Mike John... Mike- John Dawson. No, I thought he just stuttered at the beginning. <laughs> no, he's like, he's like, hey, Mike John Dawson. That was awesome, Nathan. Dude, more audio questions. Oh, You're an man. entertaining cat. Okay, so I deal with this all the time in camps. Do you want to take a stab at it first? Yeah, I mean, as a as a left handed person who forced myself to learn right handed, I would say you're going to definitely have more opportunities to sit in and do jam sessions and you know just and music school as well. I mean, it, it wouldn't hurt, but I did that from the beginning. So you've already put in years of practice. I would say don't change anything unless you feel like you need to or want to. I mean, just keep doing what you do. Yeah, I would say I would say the same thing. It really depends on what you want to do. If you're going to be a drummer that's just kind of doing your thing for the rest of your life, then there's nothing wrong with it uh, at all. Uh, there's you know some great left hand players out there, but my idol Phil Collins is full left hand kit. I remember yeah, right. him asking me to sit down on his kit and give it a go during the Tarzan tracking and i was like yeah no i'm good thank you <laughs> i'm not about to embarrass myself in front of the the guy that i've looked up to my whole life so um so yeah but if you do want to go to music school and if you do like mike said want to sit in in jams in the future and also there's a lot of times where even like a cover gig let's say that for some reason you were covering a church gig sometimes those kits are like actually bolted to the floor they're locked down and yeah right you can't change them at all, or it's a V drum kit. That's you. You definitely can't just swap out the V drum kit and uh, change the rack around. So yeah. I would say, being a left hand lead player for yourself in open grip on a right handed kit would be a huge benefit to you. Those are probably I would say mo- a lot of my favorite drummers are left hand lead on a right hand kit. You can always swap. You know, put a ride symbol like when we have left hand lead campers come here. I always put a ride symbol for them over on the left. So really, it's not that they're learning a new drum set. It's that they're learning how to become right-footed. That's the biggest hurdle you have to overcome is becoming right-footed. But I think you sound fairly young, so it's really up to you. The world is your oyster. Keep blowing me kisses. Yeah, I mean, you know, it can't hurt to be ambidextrous, right? I mean, just go for it. Right. Boom. All right, so let's do another audio. We've got Nick. Nick Murray. Hey, Mike and Mike. It's buddy Nick from uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, just had a quick question for you guys about uh, endorsements. Um, playing with a band right now, and we're getting a lot of uh, attention from smaller companies to endorse their products. And uh, I feel flattered that I'm being offered, you know, stick deals and symbol deals and stuff. But I really don't know anything about the endorsement game, and I was wondering if you guys had any insight or you know, just some things to keep in mind or, um, you know, pros and cons of being endorsed. All right. Thanks guys. Nick, first of all, congratulations just for getting yourself to a place in your career where companies want to be associated with you. That's an amazing, amazing thing. You know, um, I think it comes down to, and Mike has a whole different perspective because he's like in the industry working with these companies all the time. But as a endorsed artist, what I would say is, it's a very, very small industry, like much smaller than you you know, uh, especially when you go to NAM and you walk the entire drum area in you know thirty minutes and you go, "Oh, that was the entire drum industry <laughs> right yeah. um, so so these guys all know each other, these guys and ladies all know each other, so I think it's important to play the gear that you would buy. 
don't take a deal with somebody just because it's free um, on, on a lesser company. And I don't mean lesser, maybe um, more of a company that you wouldn't normally buy. But if you give it to me, to me for free, I'll take it because what's going to happen, let's say you sign with Symbol Brand G and then eventually you want to be a Zildjian artist or a Sabian artist. They're going to want to know like, so, but you're already endorsed. Why did you sign with them? And really you're going to have to tell them uh, because it was free. And yeah, you yeah. guys wouldn't sign me. So what I would rather you do, Nick, is if you're blowing up now, you're probably going to keep blowing up. So I would start contacting the companies that you truly love and just get in contact with them and say, look, uh, I just wanted to be on your radar a little bit. I wanted to let you guys know that this is what's going on with my band. I'm not asking for free gear, but I've been a fan of your company since the beginning, and I'm going to continue to play your stuff. And I'm just hoping in, in the future I can actually be a part of your family. And that will go so far with that A&R compared to like, hey, if you don't sign me, Schmeckenmeyer sticks will. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's not the way to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's almost like I don't want to go too deep into it, but you have to be leery of small companies you never heard of hitting you up saying, I, you know, I want you to be an endorser because there is a bit of a game that I've noticed mm-hmm. where they're using the word endorser, but that just means you're paying for stuff at dealer costs. So you're essentially right. a dealer. You're not an endorser. You're paying for stuff. You're getting the dealer costs. They're still making their money. It's kind of a way, and you're going to promote the heck out of their products because you're technically an endorser. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it was what's the real, long-term? real bad five or six years ago where it was like, wait a minute. Yeah. And then and then I would ask people, they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm now a whatever artist. I'm like, well, how much did you pay for your kit? And they're like, $2,600. i am like, it's for $2,799 at GC. Yeah, yeah. You it's, got 100 bucks off? You're not an artist. So, so if it yeah, smells too you. good to be true, you know, if it smells like it stinks, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably, you know, I would stay Did away. Did you say from. if it smells too good to be true? Yeah, I'm going like to edit that, that out. So. <laughs> no, you won't. You shan't. If you shan't edit that. <laughs> what is the, what is the cliche about smelling stuff? I don't even know. I, I don't know. If, if it's, it's <laughs> it, yeah. Anyway, congrats on being offered. Just be aware that you're, it's a long term investment. You don't want to just get free gear. It's flattering, um, right? But you got to think of what is that company going to do? How long are they going to be around? What are they going to do for you? Right. Like we we do actually pay more attention to artists who have legit endorsements because we're in contact with their A and R team on a regular basis. So. If you're looking to get exposure, uh, what does that company have to offer? Do they have a track record of getting their artists on festivals and in magazines and things like that? So, you know, just, again, graciously accept if, yeah. if it's your thing. If if it feels like something's not quite right, then just say, no, thanks. Simple Agreed. as that. You want to do one last audio question from uh, an actual endorsed artist? Yeah, this is okay. Spencer. Spencer is a Mapex and I believe a Sabian artist and maybe an, and I think Diodario, so Evans and Promark. All right, let's check it out. Hi, guys. Spencer Bowman here coming at you from Canada. Uh, so my question is, when you're using the four-stage practice method, is there any reason not to switch the order of the creative and the non-creative segments? I find that my creative exercises are usually a lot less physically demanding than the non-creative exercises. Uh, if I do the creative first, my body is more prepared to be pushed to the limit during the non-creative. Whereas when I do the, the non-creative first, I feel a bit like I'm still kind of dusting off the cobwebs and my body doesn't want to go to max effort yet with speed or endurance. So I'm wondering if there's any reason why I wouldn't want to switch the order of those two things. Thanks in advance to both of you, and thanks for everything you do with the podcast. Cheers. I love that Dude. question. I love it. Great question. Might that be was a, awesome. A great way to end our audio question segment. That's awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic. By the way, guys, check out uh, Spencer's band, The Body Politic. They're fantastic. He's an incredible metal drummer. He's been to a bunch of camps, and then all of a sudden, my dream came true. I said my dream was always to do to be in the front row for one of my students clinics someday, like have the roles reversed. And all of a sudden we got put on a drum festival together, Nice, but I, <laughs> I didn't put in any calls. He was on it. Like, yeah, cool. And I was, and I, I sat in the front row and I was so stoked for him. So, uh, Spencer, first of all, 
it's almost back to the technique question. We're all human beings. We're all different. And all that matters is that you get the most out of your practice. I think practice, just like technique, should be tweaked all the time to find the maximum amount of efficiency. So I, I love that question. I love that idea. I think everyone should try. By the way, for those of you that don't know what the four-stage practice method is, I'm not going to go through it. But the two uh, things that he mentioned, non-creative and creative, just imagine that as warming up. One is the non-creative would be warming up your body and the creative would be more warming up your mind. So you guys probably already do this stuff anyways. You just haven't categorized it like that. Um, so no, I, I think the way he described it too, it's like you cracked your personal code. You know what right. I mean? That's yeah, what it's exactly. all about. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see any reason why to not do whatever makes you practice more efficiently and more effectively. I think that's, and I, I never actually, while I kind of indirectly use your method, I'd never actually sit down in, in one hour and do all four stages. It's right. Like I'm on it's my not practice. how you practice. Yeah, my non-creative is on my practice pad, working on time, working on my single stroke roll. And that is at a totally different time of the day when I go to my kit. So I usually go to my kit first thing in the morning, and that's 100% creative because I'm literally using the drum set to wake me up. Like I want to yeah. get my brain firing. So that 15, 20 minutes in the morning – is my creative practice. I get to the, the office, and when I take a break during the day, that's my non-creative practice. Mm-hmm. So I never, very yeah. rarely does it, like, here's an hour, let me divide it up into these four chunks. It's throughout well, the day. Well, you know, and I, I think that that's what had happened as a clinician and as an educator was I was constantly having people saying, I have 45 minutes between the time I get home from work and the time the kids get back from soccer. Yeah. How do I maximize that? And so this has always been one of those things where this is, one of many ways to practice and i but i think that what i was trying to do is do exactly what you do and combine it into one little chunk right because that fits a lot of adults lifestyles um you know you're probably not going to get railed on as much for rocking the pad at the modern drummer offices as some guy over at intel so (laughs) (laughs) so we all have different lives but yeah i think that you know the four stage practice method isn't anything revolutionary it's the fact that you need to warm up your body, you need to focus on your technique and, and become physically better at playing this instrument, you need to warm up your mind and grow your your ability to improvise and be creative, and you need to learn something new, and then at the end you need to apply it to music and see if you, did you put in all this work with wooden sticks and metal cymbals and mylar heads, and did it do anything for it? Can you play music? So I mean, you know, it actually goes back to uh, Michael's question earlier about he, you know he just ends up jamming on the kit. I think the, this method is good for if you have that tendency to be completely disorganized with your practice and never feel like you're accomplishing anything. Using this four stage method forces you to go through some of the painful stuff. Like if you always skip over the warm up kind of technical development in your practice, well then use this method to make sure you always do that every time you sit down. So I think it is, if you're not quite a disciplined practicer, I think that method is is perfect. Um, I've always kind of been good at at segmenting my practice. Like, practice for me isn't always fun. In fact, it's mostly really painful, and I'm okay with that. (laughs) Yeah, that's where the growth happens. You know, anything that's not pushing me in any way i'm uh, there's not a lot of growth happening there you know i, I want to grow yeah. um, and i know when i'm struggling and i know when it's going all downhill for me i'm like cool this is the growth part so yeah all right, very good. All right. you want to get a couple more printed questions Let's see in? if we can get some last do a couple so um here's a technique question from eric i have a question about getting more volume out of my double bounces so this is the opposite of the question earlier i realized that uh they may never be as loud as my single strokes, but whenever I play them in a rock band situation, my doubles are a quarter to a third the volume of my singles. Yeah, that's uh, it's. You know what's funny about that is what he's calling a problem is actually such an asset to me. I learned my five, sevens, nines, thirteens. I learned them as singles and doubles, and for me, my singles were the aggressive sound of a roll. And my doubles were my smooth, buttery sound of a roll. And yep. I use them yeah. both to that advantage. And I think you should. I think that's that's the whole point of it. I think uh, practice your double strokes on non, uh, with like pillows or something that doesn't rebound. That yeah. That would be one way to increase it. But you know, like Mike said, I would just embrace the fact that your doubles are going to sound smoother and your singles are going to be louder and use them accordingly. Agreed. Goes, that goes to back to the idea of not, not using the technique to make something easier, but for the sound, I think, is important. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's do another technique one. This is from Jonathan. Um, 
when I'm working on fills that require pretty fast double bass drum doubles with one foot, I seem to have a problem with brushing them. Uh, do you guys have any specific exercises to remedy this? Mm, brushing man. the doubles. It- yeah, is it, I mean, that's what's happening is you've probably created your own technique, whether it be a heel toe or a skip or a slide. And now that technique always goes no matter what. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you need to, you know, what you need to do is go right, left, kick, kick, starting at 60 BPM and work yourself up in five beat increments until you start to hear it skip a little bit, until you start to hear it rush and find those problem tempos for you. You know, it's probably going to be somewhere around like 135 or. 118 where you just go like oh man I, 118 is not in five beat increments 115 and you're gonna find that thing where you go like oh my gosh like i just i can't do it and then you have to work out those problem tempos yeah again it's like the, don't let the technique determine how you play that's my only you know it, it's really there should be no technique i never think of it as a double technique i just play two notes but my foot Agreed. figures out how to do it the right the most efficient way Exactly. Um, can you? This is from another Michael. Can you recommend a professional level lighter throne that provides the same comfort and stability as something like a rock and sock with a hydraulic base? I cannot. Can you? Um, I always in, well. I mean, there's a lot of options. I think the Yamaha hardware is always really good and lightweight. Um, Pearl hardware is always good and lightweight. I think anything that just you know, single brace, you're just going to have to test the seat because usually the cushions might be a little bit too hard. And if you play long gigs, it, it'll definitely wear you out. But I use a, even Tama has, a, has one that's pretty lightweight. So there's tons yeah, of stuff. And you can also, you can also, most of them, especially if you take, if you already have a rock and sock or if you already have like a pork pie, just take the seat top down to your local music store and try out some different bases for it. Yeah, true. Yeah, get a different base. That's perfect. All right. So this one comes from David. He says, I have a, um, I'm not going to say the brand, but he has a snare drum that the strainer is very poor. Um, do you have any information on better strainers from other manufacturers that might outfit what I currently have? I think the two industry standards would be the Trick uh, GS007, I think it's called, and the Net, the Net Throw Offs. I would check those yeah. out. Okay, let me ask you a question right now because I'm not being ignorant or trying to fake ignorance. I actually don't know. Is a th- is a throw-off and a strainer the same thing? Yeah, that's a good question. It, we refer to them as the same thing, but really the strainer, I th- I'm pretty sure, is the entire system. So you've got the throw-off and okay. the butt plate. The throw-off is the thing that actually turns the snares off, yep. and the butt plate is the other side that holds the snare. But the whole thing the is called a strainer. the two together, you get a strainer. Yeah. Okay. But they're, they're essentially the same thing. Yeah, I'm I, uh, trying to think. You know, I know there's a few companies that are – doing the dw maglev throw off but it's not under dw so i don't know if dw licensed it out to some people but i've seen some generic dw maglev throws throws i like that one a lot and i i love those trick throws and then the Danette one so i'm, I'm with mike on that great so and also I, I don't know if it was zach who asked us the question about the chrome pitting on the superphonic but i have another one here maybe he sent it twice if not it's the exact same question from zach do you guys recommend sending off a, a pitted superphonic to have it rechromed my question my answer is no unless you really want it to if you want to do something different maybe get a different color but i Ooh. say no a little powder coating powder coating all right pick of the week time we st- i mean we did our best to get through these sorry if we didn't get to your questions but we have <laughs> probably a good 75 more to go do we really <laughs> yeah Stupid, successful so podcast. We'll probably have to start <laughs> making the question segment a little bit longer in, in the next month or so. All right. We'll kind of get through five or six. We'll go to, yeah. And nice. we can stop being so damn long-winded. <laughs> yeah, that's both of our faults. You know, it, it we just get so excited. I want to share everything. It's like, I oh, man, I, I feel like our listeners are our family, and I want to share everything I can with them. So, yeah. We All right, like do you have a pick? Button. Like, nope, yeah, no, you're done. Mute. Yeah. <laughs> Like around the horn <laughs> yeah, on ESPN. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. All right, pick of the week. Do you have anything? Yeah. So my pick is a band that maybe some of you might be familiar with, maybe some of you might not. The band is called Hiatus Coyote. They've been around for quite a while, but I think they really do some hip stuff. If, you, if you're one of those people that say, oh, I just can't get into fusion, I need vocals, I need songs – but maybe standard pop is a little too simple for you. This is kind of in between. Hiatus Coyote is an amazing band, but I would, if you, since you're, I'm assuming you're a drummer, if you're listening to this, 
I would recommend the 2013 album Talk Tomahawk. It's T-A-W-K Tomahawk. Uh, so that has a lot of really hip drumming. The songs are really good. So uh, the the writing is very friendly, but still you're going to, you're going to really need to put your counting boots on to get through some of these time signatures. Um, and eventually I just, I use it when I'm at the gym and I honestly, I'm not, I don't want to count. I don't want to do homework. And the cool thing about this stuff is their music is good enough and palatable enough that I can kind of accept it. It's tangible. I can just listen to it or I can on the drive home, I can geek out and try to figure out the time signatures it's in. So the band is hiatus coyote and the band or the album that I'm re- uh, referencing or recommending would be talk tomahawk t-a-w-k tomahawk dig it i don't know if we've ever actually talked about uh mark giuliano's book on the podcast in any great detail but my pick of the week is mark giuliano's book exploring your creativity on the drum set by hudson music the book is amazing but i think what is getting lost in the fact because it's it it's packaged as a book there's like three three plus hours of video content. I mean, it's yeah. it's legit of him taking and you through. Yeah, there's like performance and solos, band. Yeah. a band, and he takes you through a lot of the exercises and demonstrates them. So, I think it's well worth. I mean, what is the cover price? It's only thirty bucks. I mean, you're getting like three hours of video content plus a book. I think it's it, this is going to go. I mean, I'm chipping away at this book because it's. It's kind of like Jojo Mayer's first DVD where you can get 10 minutes in and, and you're done for the next five years, honestly. Yeah, and let me just tell you guys, as someone that has done three camps now, three week-long camps with Mark, and I've seen him teach all of this stuff in person, you have to watch the DVD. You, If you look at only the notation and, you know, and, and like a lot of drummers, we skip some of the text and we're looking for the cool chop – it, yeah. You're not going to find it in those pages. Once you see him demonstrate this stuff, it'll blow your mind at what can be done with the simple content that's on the page. And so the the two really do go together, and they're very important to each other. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those where like he kind of shows you how much you can do with the simplest stuff, like to just to make music with something that you know if you give this to. A beginning drummer is going to sound kind of silly. You give it to Mark, and it's like, that's the most amazing phrase I've ever heard in my life. Right. But it's the same rhythm. It's just one E and a two. But he takes it through this whole process that's like, right. dang, you can make music with five sixteenth notes. Like, yeah. legit And he music. does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't do it just for demonstration purposes. He'll do that stuff as the performance in a clinic when he doesn't explain what he just did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he like really is into it, and he's, he's great. So I think, yeah, that's great. Give you something to work on, uh, Mark Juliana's book, and then give you something to listen to, Hiatus Coyote, and you'll be set. Well, that's it. We've got – that's over an hour. I can't believe it. We barely got through – these questions <laughs> yeah but we got through eight audio questions and guys those audio questions are amazing it's so great to hear your voices or your kisses uh so please keep <laughs> keep sending that stuff can't get enough of it and uh yeah if you guys get a chance go check out uh give us a little review on itunes or wherever you listen to this podcast keep sending in your questions to mdinfo at modern drummer.com and next week i will give you guys the promo code to get two free weeks of all access on mikeslessons.com so you can check it out and see if my style of education works for you. Oh, yeah. And also, a reminder, PASIC next week, anyone who's going, uh, you can shoot an email over the same address, mdinfo, and just say, hey, I, you know, I'd like to meet up with Mike at PASIC or where are you going to be, and then we'll, we'll touch base. I'll be there Thursday through, I'm going to be there the whole time. I'm coming in Thursday. I'm leaving really early Sunday morning, so hopefully we can cross paths and hang out a little bit and go to the Dream Booth and get yourself a free effect symbol. Can't be that. Nope. (laughs) Awesome. All right, buddy. I will see you next week. All right. See you.